This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast, recorded Thursday, the 12th of April, 2018. Episode 33, We Love the 80s. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. And I hope you all have had a restful Easter period and um, we haven't recorded in a couple of weeks. We took a little bit of a break, but uh, we're certainly back now. And I've got a treat for you, which is our resident film aficionado, Bronson Green, who's back in the house. Bronson, how are you doing? Yo, mother flippers. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm, I'm good. How are you? Happy Easter, by the way. Happy Easter to you. Um, what have you been up to? Anything interesting? Seen anything interesting? Um, yeah, sort of. Uh, I think our last podcast was a while ago, so I've certainly managed to fit in uh, a lot of pop culture, if you like. I've been geeking out here and there and just also living and enjoying life. Uh, as I say, obviously, just had Easter and uh, um, not actually enjoying watching um Liverpool getting to the Champions League uh, semi-finals. Um, so yeah, been ver- been very busy with a number of things. Um, but uh, I've just ad hoc, uh, if you like. I, I watched uh, the movie Mississippi Burning last week. I actually sat down, uh, watched it for the second time. Uh, first time I watched it was about twenty years ago. I sat down actually with my nephew and niece and said, "Look, would you like to watch a serious film for once that doesn't have chases in it and?" you know, superheroes and laser pistols. Do you actually want to watch a, an adult film? And they said, okay, we'll give it a go. And they sat down and they loved it. What did you bribe um, so, them with to sit them down and watch that movie? Sweets? Oh, Pizza? No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that at all. I, I put the proposition to them. They they wanted to give it a go. And there was a caveat. Uh, I said, if you find it boring, you can go after 45 minutes or whatever. But they sat there and they, they were mesmerized by Gene Hackman's charisma and, and, and Francis McDormand, who is excellent in that film, and Willem Dafoe is a good actor, and obviously the subject matter is really emotive. Um, so yeah, they they sat there from start to finish, and and uh, I'd like to think it's it was a step up in their film education. So yeah, that that was the most recent film I watched. What, what about yourself? What was the last thing you watched? Um, in terms of the cinema, I went to see Black Panther a couple of times, which I thought was excellent. I really enjoyed that. Um, and that was a while ago now, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, I got invited to uh, Disney <laughs> and I went there to, to, to a special screening. This was the opening weekend. And I just thought it was a really good movie. Now, I'm normally a fan of these Marvel films. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan. Um, I think they've done the whole shared universe thing a lot better than DC's sort of hackneyed attempt. And um, you can see how they're setting things up for the next big Avengers movie, which I think is out what, in a couple of weeks or so. Um, but I really enjoyed Black Panther. I thought it was really well directed. I think um, Ryan Coogler seems to be a, 
Um, well, I'm impressed basically what he's done so far. I quite like Creed. I, I and, and this is really his, his second big budget movie and it's broken all manner of records. I mean, first of all, having a black director helm such a big film for big budget is really good as far as Hollywood is concerned anyway. Um, and yeah, I think it's like third highest grossing film in the US now of all time, which is amazing. Yeah. Um- $1.3 billion, um, I think it has made. Uh, I checked a couple of days ago, and that blows my mind. I had, no, I had no idea it would make that kind of money. Do you think it's come from repeat business from um, the black audience who just don't get positive role models often enough from mainstream movies? So do you think it was a lot of those um, young black people going to watch it multiple time is that the repeat business that's um filled the coffers or, or do you think it was just a really good film um i think it's it's a bit of both um i i, I think that in terms of the young a young audience they were they were always going to see it anyway it does, it's a marvel movie young audiences black white whatever they were going to see this movie um i think in terms of it being marketed towards the black community as a, it's an all black cast, you know, primarily an all black cast, um, et cetera, et cetera. You had a lot of people who didn't, who wouldn't ordinarily go to the cinema to watch uh, a movie like this, make an effort and go to the cinema and watch it. Um, I, and it was always going to do well. It's a Marvel, it's a Marvel movie. It's, it, it's almost Teflon in terms of the box office. Um, but uh, I, and I think Infinity War, Avengers, next Avengers movie is going to smash it. Um, everything's sort of building up to that um it was a good movie black panther it um i i i liked um without going to too much because we weren't going to talk about it today um i liked michael b jordan actually i liked the villain i liked the villain's motivations uh, it wasn't uh, yeah 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 i mean i mean I, he, he was a pretty much a um a three-dimensional uh character and um, you, I kind of understood his philosophy. I mean, a lot of the times, um, so you've got the main, the main character, T'Challa, and you've got Michael B. Jordan, who, spoiler alert, they turn out to be cousins, and they both have claim to the kingdom of Wakanda. Um, and one's all about, um, you know what, this is Michael B. Jordan's character, um, um, Eric Killmonger. Um, you know, black people are suffering all over the world. You guys have got all this advanced technology. You're hiding it. You could have helped our people out. That's wrong. T'Challa's sort of, um, um, who's, who's the main character, um, his, his philosophy is more like, um, well, no, you know, we start, you know, we start sharing our resources. We invite outside outsiders and they bring with them their own troubles and we shouldn't intervene in matters that don't affect us. Almost at times, like the two different, if you think about the civil rights movement, the two different approaches of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Almost at times. It's a really, yeah, it's a really, it's really cleverly done. But on the other hand, at the very high level, it's just a fun superhero movie to watch. Um, But I thought it was really good. It was some very, some really sophisticated and mature kind of subtext to it. It wasn't just um, a brainless popcorn movie then from what you're you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it works as a brainless popcorn movie as well, because if you forget, if you let that go fly over your head, it's really entertaining. So I enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, I saw it twice. Once I didn't pay for it. Obviously I was invited to a screening the other time I did. So I, I well, I, do you know what? Yeah, you, yeah you're, you're right. These Marvel movies are like Teflon. And so we could have assumed it was going to make six, seven, maybe 800 million anyway. 
Um, but yeah, to make another, you know, half a billion on top of that, um, because of the significance of the, the black audience. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I see what you mean by that. Yeah. And, um, one thing I've noticed speaking to a lot of people at the first screening who, again, that aren't, um, aren't necessarily well-versed when it comes to these movies. They didn't realize that the character had already been introduced in, 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 um, Captain America Civil War. So, you know, the character has really been introduced. He's not the first black superhero, as a lot of commentators like to say, because I can count at least three others in the Avengers before him. So, um, it, so there was a little bit of hyperbole when it came to, oh, this is, this is um, a brilliant representation of um, black culture. Again, Wakanda is a pseudoculture. They have a pseudoculture because it's, it's, it's not a real country. And let's not forget I mean, Stanley and the other guy direct who created these characters. So these these aren't characters created by um, uh, black artists or black writers. But having said that, Ryan Coogler directed the movie and he uh, he wrote he wrote the screenplay. So we've got to give him credit for that. I mean, even when something like obviously Jackie Brown and um, yeah, the, the Tiff Tarantino had in the nineties with uh, Spike Lee. Um, and, and people were sort of um, saying, why is Tarantino making such a black film? And he was saying, well, how can you accuse me of that? That's racism in itself. Um, or, or even you look at something like Coming to America, which I think is a very black film. And obviously it was directed by John Landis. So um, it is always a curiosity to me when I see that. And uh, and, and li- listen, for our listeners who, who are listening to this, we didn't plan this discussion, by the way, but it's really funny that I mentioned Mississippi Burning and then you moved on to Black Panther because if you read about Mississippi Burning, when it came out, it got a lot of praise for being a a good film, but it also got a lot of criticism because there wasn't any positive representations in it of black people. Uh, All the black people in that film were shown as victims and shown as uh, a little bit pathetic and sort of running away and, and living in poverty and and all the predominant characters who were sort of saving the blacks in that movie were whites. So, um, yeah, funny, uh, funny how that kind of, uh, is a, almost a counterpoint to black Panther, which goes out of its way, I guess, to show positive black role models. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and yeah, like I said, it, 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 it we didn't plan to, uh, to discuss this and we, we, we'll leave it for now, I think, but, uh, it was a really good movie. I enjoy watching it the second time as well. And I am actually looking forward to um, uh, Infinity War, Avengers Infinity War. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, that looks pretty epic. It brings together all the characters. When I say all of them, you're going to have the Guardians of the Galaxy clashing with, uh, you know, um, the, the regular set of Avengers and Doctor Strange is going to be brought in and Spider-Man. And, you know, I really enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming. So I'm really looking for the big kid in me is really looking forward to that movie. I probably shouldn't expect too much from it. Otherwise it'll lead to disappointment. But you know, I like I, I do enjoy these um these these big um these big blockbusters, these big event movies, you know. It's fun. Yeah, these, these these big mashups and I probably enjoy them even more because I think I like Justice League more than you did. So um Well that was a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've had that podcast already, haven't we? We have but, had one already. So, um, and funny enough, Justice League, you enjoyed that bit of news that broke that broke rather quietly is that um, aquaman has had a few um, test screenings I don't, I don't even know when aquaman is due to come out is that is that this summer maybe is it i heard that they've bought for the release date but I'm, I'm not sure when it when it is 
Um, have the uh, previous screenings been positive? No. Oh, no. Dear. From what I've heard, no. No. That's really disappointing, although not uh, a major surprise. But look, the, the geek in all of us, me, you, the listeners, we all have a mashup. And uh, um, you've actually, from what you said about Black Panther, I um, I almost regret not having seen it now. Maybe I should quickly try and catch it before it gets pulled out of cinemas, uh, if it does lay so much groundwork for Infinity Wars. Yeah, I'd definitely check it out if I were you. Um, I would say it's probably got another week at cinemas. It's, it's very strange how uh, Infinity Wars has been. I mean, it was brought forward, wasn't it? I think. I think it was brought forward because oh. um, it's, 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 it, it seems really strange that it's been released now. Um, so soon, actually, because normally they, they wait, don't they? If they've the last movie they've released, they, they give it a while. And then when that sort of hits home video, um, the home video market, they'll release the next big one in the cinemas. But it's out already. Well, in about a week's time, I think, if it was. Wow. Well, I haven't seen any of the hype machine for it yet. So if it's. I mean, uh, the adverts and the promos and all that. I thought we would have seen a lot of that by now, but well, I there's been a lot. Anything. There's been a few. There's been quite a few TV spots. There've been one sort of. Um, they've got this. Last week they released these series of TV spots that kind of center around each of the franchises. So there's a there's a Black Panther, obviously a centric one. Shows all the you know the big battle in Wakanda. Obviously takes place in the movie, and obviously they they they're taking advantage of the popularity of the Black Panther movie, getting the audiences ready for this next one. And there's one that's sort of focuses on the Guardians of the Galaxy, one on Doctor Strange. So the, um, there's been a few TV spots. I've seen them online. I haven't seen them actually on television over here. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, the hype machine's certainly kicking in, I think. And it. And well, just, I was about to say I probably haven't seen the TV spots because I don't watch TV in that conventional way anymore. I, I, I skip through adverts now. But uh, maybe I should go out my way to to check them out on YouTube, um, if, if, if indeed it is coming out literally in a week or two. Yeah, it's two weeks. I just checked the calendar. Two weeks' time. Which is wow. still pretty soon, yeah. Okay. Cool. But well, I'm sure we'll have lots to say about that when it's actually released. Um, let's Good actually thought. move on to our agenda. <laughs> and um, I mm. thought we could start by, because this is something else that's happened since our last conversation, uh, lamenting the death of Toys R Us. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, I've got very specific thoughts on it. Um, I was actually curious to hear, because obviously um, you're not sort of a collector. I mean, uh, listeners may not know that the the toy market is actually uh, a year or two ago. The, the adult toy collector's market actually overtook what kids or their parents um, spend on toys. Um, so it's... Uh, you know, the closure of something like Toys R Us hits a lot of people. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a collector. Um, so from my point of view, I was well, disappointed um, because it's an institution. Not altogether surprised because they haven't kept up with with the times. I'll, I'll miss Jeffrey the Giraffe. You know, I'll, I'll miss being able to go into Toys R Us and seeing the Toys R Us sort of paraphernalia everywhere and Jeffrey the Giraffe or whatever and seeing the adverts on TV. But on the one hand, um, I mean, the Toys R Us website's terrible and, um, and, and as I say, they haven't kept up with, uh, with being able to move, well, not move away from the brick and mortar space to the online sort of the e-commerce space, but, but, trying to, but, but incorporating it so that they could be a, a powerful force together. They, Toys R yeah. Us just haven't 
done that. And but it, in fact, that's just conventional interpretation of the, the whole situation. The, the truth yeah, because that's that actually they, wrong. Just 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 before you continue, that that's actually wrong. What people are saying that they haven't kept up with with online, they have. They had a website. They had a very sophisticated click and collect service. And if you ever used it, where you res- you, you could check the stock of the stores and have have an item waiting for you to collect within an hour. So they they did keep up in that respect. The problem was, I think, their prices. Um, yes and no. I'm I'm going to correct you a little bit there. In that, yes, you're right. You could do the click and collect thing and everything, but generally their website was terrible. You couldn't find out about release dates of up and coming toys and and, and so on and so forth. Right. Um, it wasn't particularly agile, and it and it wasn't integrated into other websites uh, like PayPal. I, I don't believe. Um, so they didn't move into the e-commerce space properly. What I was actually about to say, and and you give me some feedback on this. What what I discovered when, when when I heard it was going under is that it was actually bought out years ago by a um, some kind of uh, financial institution. You know, you get these venture capital firms or equity firms or whatever, and and one of these financial institutions bought Toys R Us and they bought it with leveraged debt, and they weren't able to get it into the black. Um, uh, and in fact, they put so little attention into trying to um, improve it as a business that it started getting worse instead of better. And then they just thought, you know what, let's just sell all the assets, liquidate it, uh, Gordon Gecko style, if you like, and, and walk away from it. So Toys R Us could have been saved. Um, the, the real reason why it's bitten the dust is because somehow in America and in Europe, you are able to do this. If you're a financial institution, you can just with impunity go and do a leveraged buyout of whether it's Toys R Us or Manchester United, who also bought that way. Um, but they're actually, they've managed to keep making big revenues, uh, luckily for them. Uh, but you can do a leveraged buyout. And then if you decide you just want to liquidate the asset because you're not interested or it's not making um, a profit, then you can do that. And that, that seems to be the main reason why um, Toys R Us is disappearing. Well, that is sad because um, I, 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 obviously there's a little bit of nostalgia involved here and I, I had memories of, you know, as a kid and we, we'd, I, we'd go to Toys R Us every, every once in a while. So it, was, it, it became a bit of an event in itself and it was exciting, you know, the aisles upon aisles of toys and you just sort of, you know, lose yourself as you go in and run off and look for, in my case, I don't know, Star Wars toys or the video games and and that that's going anyway that's disappearing from the high street anyway kids today they they go online and they see something on amazon they order it and if it's more than 20 pounds they have it within an hour if not they get it the next day um and but what i don't understand is okay so we got all the big toy shops um what have we got the entertainer's not so big the entertainer's small and a few town centers seems to be doing okay price wise they ain't too bad um they didn't have the, the presence that toys r us did smiths now smiths seems to have it right smiths does i mean they don't have many branches granted but they seem to have still have that kind of i i get that kind of magical feeling when i walk into a smiths like i used to get with toys r us you know in 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 in, in the 90s or so the stores are very large. They seem to have staff who are enthusiastic about toys and, and, and it just seems like an all round better experience. I mean, do you shop at Smith's at all? 
Yeah, um, yeah, Smiths, um, they they are very similar to Toys R Us in that it's kind of an Aladdin's cave, isn't it, that a kid can walk into. And yeah, I've, I've got a lot of time for Smiths and do a bit of shopping there. And um, yeah, it's a good point you made there about the staff being a bit friendlier at Smiths. At Toys R Us, they were always miserable and, and usually very unhelpful, which is which always depressed me a little bit. And you're right, of course, with what you said earlier. Toys R Us prices were always terrible. Um, and so their policy of treating you like Smiths. a criminal. Let's not forget that. Toys R Us is wonderful policy that if you've yeah. done some shopping elsewhere, they want to take your bags and hold them for you because they don't trust you. Yeah, that's um, that was definitely bad PR from them. Uh, obviously, it came in over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, disastrous PR, really. Um, I, th- I think with Smith's, it's sort of a halfway house between being the sports director of the toy world and also having the element of what Toys R Us had. Um, uh, but hopefully it will thrive. I think it's, a, it's an Irish business, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's family-owned or whether – I don't think it's owned by, like, for example, some kind of equity – funds i don't think there's any you know it wasn't bought on a leverage buyout i don't think there's any danger i hope of it disappearing or anything so in that respect in the uk we're we're kind of all right aren't we and i think in the states they've got walmart and and target and and so maybe it's uh, but obviously those aren't exclusively toy stores um but they're huge stores with big toy sections so i guess i have to talk to americans about how sad they are. I've listened to a couple of podcasts where I've heard a mixture of reactions, people, some non-plused, some devastated. But yeah, for me, when it comes down to Toys R Us, that advert that we all knew, the animated Toys R Us one with the really distinctive um, music um, from our childhoods, I'll I'll miss that. And um, I've got a few anecdotes from when I was a kid and even when I was an adult going into Toys R Us. First, when I was younger with my brother and sister and parents, and then as older with my young nephew and niece and obviously that experience will will disappear with toys r us yeah correct me if i'm wrong but the stores are actually closed now aren't they they're, they're all closed right now or they're still having their their, their clearance sale their fire they, sale no they, i think they're doing the clearance where um first they reduce everything by 10 percent, then a couple of weeks later by 20 points and then whatever's left is on 30 or 40 points off so i, I think they're still open Certainly when I popped in there a couple of weeks ago, they said they were open for another month or so. So I think the second to last week from April is is when they're going to be shutting. I might just pop in there, see if there's any bargains left. I, I doubt there will be. Um, well, this is what they're but, saying. They're saying that they actually, because I, I, I myself went and checked it out a couple of weeks ago and, and they were on 30% off and um, there was nothing there. <laughs> nothing nothing use of, of, of use anyway. But they are, because I get emails from them because I must have ordered from them online at some point. And they are saying that they are getting deliveries from their warehouses every day because they're trying to clear the warehouses, obviously. Um, so technically, well, there might be new toys there. There might be things that weren't there before for you if you go there again. Yeah, I guess retail outlets like that, they probably have like truck days, as they call them, where they get a delivery once or twice a week. And um, I'm sure they'll, they'll keep having those until their warehouses are empty. So it's definitely worth a punt. For our listeners, pop pop in there um, to local one before it shuts. I mean, we've literally got about what a week, two weeks left. Um, so worth doing. And um, actually, a little anecdote for you: when I, when I did pop in there a couple of weeks ago, I said to the the staff there, um, "This Transformers display that you've got, there's a couple of bits of the paraphernalia, nothing big." I said, "This is obviously going to be thrown away. Do you mind if I have this when you guys close?" And they go, um, "You've got to get uh, permission from Hasbro." 
I couldn't believe it. Hasbro. Are you serious? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're going to have to go and get um, written permission from someone at Hasbro. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I thought the cheek on this idiot. Oh, you, you'll see, you'll see that thing thrown away just outside the store, you know, the day after they close. It'll just be there on the sidewall. Absolutely. So, so I mean, I don't know. So I fabricate an email and print it off and take it with me. Go in there and just <clears throat> do do what needs to be done in order to to get those bits of MDF with the logo Transformers logo on it. And um, because yeah, you're right, they'll end up in a skip otherwise. But it, that was the kind of sort of attitude from the staff that I I'd been used to really over the last well 15 years or whenever I'm going as an adult and. Uh, uh yeah sort of uh, so so sad to see it go but on the other side of it deep down i kind of know why they're disappearing and it's survival of the fittest isn't it and uh, i'm sure mm. i'm sure something will come to replace it but in fact you know what the whole thing with the retail space changing from going from brick and mortar to the e-commerce space and um, i don't know if you noticed this um but hasbro launched something called haslab and what that is, is they have designed a toy of Jabba's sail barge, which I think is called the Katana. Okay. From Return, Return of the Yeah, the, the one that goes to Sar- the Sarlacc pit. And they've designed a toy of that thing because I don't think they've ever released a significant toy of it. They might have released a, a small one at some point in the 80s, I don't know. But they've designed this huge thing which basically scales to the three and three quarter inch Star Wars figures from back in the day. And they, um, it's highly detailed and they put a video out there on YouTube and on their website saying that we're basically doing a crowdfunding thing with this. Um, if we make it and sell it, it's going to be $500 a pop, but we need 5,000 people to commit to buying it. Um, and you've got until April, the first week of April, whatever was the deadline. To, to let us know whether you're interested and basically we're going to make the toy it's going to come with a brochure and it's going to come in classic star wars packaging so it looked like it was made in the 80s and it blew my mind when i saw it i thought this is amazing i, I hope it meets his crowdfunding target and unfortunately i don't really i don't really i've got a few star wars bits and bobs but i don't collect star wars action toys um but i was rooting for it and um they didn't just get to their 5,000 target i think they finished on about 8,800 in the end so remind me again and how much are they asking for it five hundred dollars five hundred dollars that's the basic obviously you have different tiers when it comes to crowdfunding but but that was your basic you get the toy five hundred dollars you get the toy the brochure yeah all the all the bits yeah. right and i i was rooting for it not just because it's a cool looking toy and i just like the thought of i know there's a lot of grown men women out there who spend a lot of money on star wars paraphernalia so i wasn't surprised that they reached the crowdfunding target but it's the implication that it has moving forward so this might be for example the toy market changing a little bit where if we get more and more things like this it will be transacted and communicated via the internet and it won't be by brick and mortar and it could have, it could have implications on you know from my point of view as a Transformers collector obviously it's the same company Hasbro so they might propose you know toys which ordinarily would have been completely unfeasible um, but you know they they might organise a crowdfunding scheme and then enough Transformer geeks might jump on it and the toy gets made so um, that that's uh, that was something which happened recently which I thought was uh, was quite significant yeah they're obviously um, testing the waters because. 
they 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 probably know the writings on the wall that children don't really buy toys anymore you know they're they're more interested in computer games and tablets and things like that um and how how you know there is a huge market as you said several times before uh in in terms of collectibles for adults particularly when you're selling them items that evoke feelings of nostalgia return the jedi in this case um so yeah it, it's no surprise that hasbro are getting in on the game and yeah they're just obviously testing the waters so it sounds like this was a hit uh anyway they they, they, they smashed their target and then you're probably going to get a whole load of you know new collectibles from them they'll probably um they'll probably just 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 bypass the whole crowdfunding route from now on end and just release this um this uh, was it the Has Labs? What did you say? More, more, more. Has, more has Lab, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. The Has Laboratory, yeah, yeah. So um, interesting. It is interesting. A lot of money though, five hundred dollars, but yeah. Well, well, you should count. You should thank your lucky stars for never having caught the bug of collecting trans, um, Star Wars paraphernalia, because as you know, from my point of view, when when I did catch the bug and I started collecting. Uh, Transformers figures um, it sort of uh, opened the floodgates a little bit so I'm sure if you'd become a collector at some point in the past um, you would have jumped on this you would have been all over it and uh, you would have opened your wallet and and it would have been empty so thank you lucky stars I would suggest (laughs) (laughs) okay I got okay I mean so so you you were tempted for a second at that that, that sale barge Well, it was never going to happen because, I, like I say, I, I've got a few bits and pieces, but I don't collect Star Wars toys. But I did look at it and think, Do you know what, if I was a, um, a Star Wars collector, it would be a no-brainer. It would be a no-brainer, right? I'd, I'd budget my life around getting, you know, whatever, £500. Or, having said that, it was only open to North American, um, the North American market. So it wasn't open to Europeans. So I, I shudder to think, how many of those orders were put forward by um, uh, fanboys who will buy five of them and then resell them for like five grand each? Yeah, most because likely. that could happen on the second market. That that could really happen. So um, it, that would hurt if it happened. And obviously, because I'm based in the UK, I I'm not able to take advantage of it. The only thing I could do is get in touch with a relative or a friend in the state. And, and put their address forward while I pay for it. I suppose that would work. But, yeah, um, or you can use forwarding services. They work as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, it, but it's a headache, isn't it? It's okay. a headache. You, you're like, okay, I, I've got to, I've got to pull out all the stops here to get this. Um, but that, that's a small complaint. When it comes down to it, if they were to come out with a premium, beautifully designed transformers figure and it was it ticked every box under the sun and it was five hundred dollars or whatever that is these days under 400 pounds probably have to start making an appointment with my bank manager and have that conversation about putting the money aside <laughs> yeah gosh it's a dangerous habit dangerous habit yeah probably wise you didn't bite but yeah i can see him releasing more um yeah well it's called toy collectors call adult toy collectors call it plastic crack plastic crack that's a good You're addicted <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? And then you got to hoard all these things and store them somehow, but hey, that's another matter. Okay, all right. So that's that, and then that's the death of Toys R Us, which is a shame, really. Um, I wonder what's going to happen to all those stores, though, because they're quite a few stores and they're quite large stores. So I wonder who's going to buy those up. 
Smith. Well, maybe? I, I'd imagine. Well, possibly, possibly some of them buy other warehouse retail stores, but then so many of those have died over the over the last couple of decades. Um, I suppose a lot of those sites were being rented, and they'll probably just knock them down and do what what they do across the UK. Had a lot, especially in London, anyway, which is put up a block of flats. Um, so I'm oh, sure yeah, that's, that's true. What will happen? Yeah, that's most likely what will happen. Any patch of land. Okay, what else has been happening this week? Oh yeah, so there's been a new trailer for the Han Solo movie called Solo. Uh, you told me about this, and I hadn't realised that the second one had been uh, released. I saw the teaser, so I watched it today. Yeah, I'm still not impressed. I'm. St- Still think I'm going to give this movie a miss when it comes out in, in, in theatres, which is May, which isn't too far away, actually. Is it late May? Is it, um, so, so you're telling me it's coming out after, the, after Infinity Wars? Well, yeah, it would be after Infinity Wars. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's out very soon, isn't it? Because I have seen... 25th of May. Things... Right. So I have seen more relating to the Han Solo movie than I have the... The Avengers one. Yeah, out very soon. That new trailer, I think, might have been released just a few days ago, in fact. Um, as, as far as trailers go, I, I don't think it looked too bad. Um, but it was the same reservations that we had when we discussed the trailer on one of our previous podcasts. They still stand firm. The guy looks like he's been miscast, unfortunately. And um, they're very much sort of pushing the nostalgia buttons, you know, how Han and Chewie met, how Han one the Millennium Falcon off Lando, all, all that stuff's in the trailer. And then the English lady, uh, uh, Game of Thrones, has a, has, has a significant part in the trailer, as has Woody Harrelson. And um, uh, again, it's one of those which, um, uh, do you know what? I know you, you, you said you boycotted it. I'm kind of on the fence. If I am going to watch it, I'll watch it during the day at a, at a cheap cinema. I won't, I won't go all out, but um, I'm on the fence at the moment. I'm not sure if I'll see the cinema or not. Well, I mean, this movie's a weird one. It's had a troubled production. Uh, Ron Howard was brought in, and from what I've heard, he's saved the movie. Disney are very happy. Um, I'm not sure what the problem was with it before. Um, It seems like, from the the, the tweets he's been releasing, he's been sort of having some sort of, um, during a production, uh, video diary type thing using Twitter. Um, and it seems like he's having a lot of fun making it. It, that comes across in the trailer, particularly the second one, that it seems to be a fun romp, so to speak. Um, but it's completely pointless. It's a film that no one's asked for. And I'm not sure what story there is to tell. Um, we were kind of fearing, or everyone was fearing this, this, this chap who plays, um, the young Han Solo. Um, gosh, I always get his name wrong. What was his name again? Enric? Enric? Uh, Alden Alden, Ironreich. uh, Alden Ironreich, right, yeah. He actually seems all right. I mean, in the second trailer, he seems to have the swagger that Han had, and he's, he's doing a good imitation. He seems okay. The other guy... We'll have to beg to differ there. Well, I don't think it's as bad as everyone feared, but you're never going to feel Harrison Ford's shoes, okay? So that he, he's got an uphill battle anyway. Um, an uphill climb anyway. Now, um, the guy who plays Lando, um, um, it's Donald Glover, he 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't get any Lando from him no. at all in the trailer. I, 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 you wouldn't know. It was, I wouldn't be able to tell you that was Lando Calrissian if, if I didn't already know he was playing him. Well, there's one, there's one bit where he calls Han Solo baby, which is very 70s, which I liked. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I, I think that applies to both actors, if I'm to be honest with you. I mean, in the like seems to have a bit of swagger, but every time he opened his mouth and the way he delivered his dialogue, it just wasn't for me anywhere near the the Han Solo out of a new hope. Well, um, it was never going to be. That's it, the it, thing. It, he, I'm sure he he's fully aware that it was never. The problem is, if he does nail it, he'll be accused of just doing an impersonation of Harrison Ford. If he doesn't nail it, or if he tries to bring his own sort of um, spin on the character to the movie, to uh, then he'll be accused of not, you know, being unauthentic. He can't win. <laughs> it's a poison challenge. Well, De Niro followed up. De Niro, well, to be fair, I don't want to bore our listeners because we, we've discussed, um, I think, uh, these issues about the Han Solo movie in depth. But I think, as I might have said before, um, De Niro had no problem playing a young Brando, did he, in The Godfather Part 2? So if, if you're talented enough and the, the writers and the director are talented enough, you can find a way. But I just don't think they've, uh, as, as per usual with Disney and Star Wars, they haven't put enough time into the pre-production and um, it will probably be an entertaining film. Every time Han and Chewie are in peril, I'm going to be feeling it. Obviously, it's an anticlimax. Uh, yeah. So um, from that point of view, yeah, pointless. But uh, who knows? I mean, look, I, uh, as I've said before, I can enjoy Star Wars spin-offs without being too critical of them. So that might be what sways it for me, and I might go and watch it at the cinema. But if I don't time to, then it, it doesn't look like I'll be missing much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, me, I'll wait. I'll, I'll wait till it's on TV. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, so my problem, I, a problem I had, and we I did discuss this before, is that there's too many sort of big names in it as well, like Woody Harrison in the, in the Star Wars movie. But he seemed okay in this trailer. It wasn't too distracting. You know who was distracting to me? Amelia Clark. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's the way she delivers her lines or, or, or the way she, she's, she looks in this thing. She sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I think they they, they should have had an American actress. Personally, maybe yeah. I, maybe I've been um, maybe it's because every time I've seen a love interest, um, a, a pre New Hope love interest for Han Solo in the comics, um, uh, or, or like in uh, the cartoons or anything it's always been like an American female from what I can remember. So I just got thrown off a little bit, a little bit off kilter. Um, and I think, as I said before, there seems to be some kind of, uh, preoccupation, uh, with Disney casting, uh, young English actresses in these new star Wars movies, post Lucas. So I don't know what that's all about, but, um, it didn't throw me off, but I think I know where you're coming from with that one. Yeah, it, it almost looks like she didn't belong. Yeah, she seems out of place. Um, it, it, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too too picky. Maybe. Yeah, there's no point in being hypercritical of the film. I mean, uh, I, I was going to say I'll wait for the first couple of, of reviews, but you can't even post uh, the mainstream press now for reviews. You have to go to fanboys on YouTube, and even then, some of them are compromised. But I, I'll, I'll see if, if I will see if I can find some credible 
reviewers whom I trust, see what they've got to say about it, and maybe that's what will sway it for me eventually. But I certainly am of the mind of potentially boycotting this, and I don't think I ever would have said that about a Star Wars movie um, a few years ago. So that does show where it's gone. And the fact that, look, Black Panther, it's, it's made more money than the last I did, hasn't it? $1.3 billion. Yep, um, it has, yeah. That's... That, that's quite something. That's that's quite a statistic. You know, that should have the the, the people who call the shots at me a little bit worried. Yeah, the last Jedi pretty much bombed. I mean, it made money. Don't get me wrong, but it did not do as as well as as Disney would have liked to have done, and um, it's caused all manner of problems. I think from a confidence level in terms of how they're going to continue with this saga. Um, because I think after the success of The Force Awakens, they were all very cocky and thinking, oh, yeah, we, we can plan another trilogy after this trilogy. But now I think people are start. I mean, this, so- this, this solo movie, it, it doesn't really matter if it's going to be good or bad. I, I, I don't think it's going to perform well in the box office. I think people have had enough for the time being with Star Wars. And I think people are still have that bitter taste in their mouth from The Last Jedi. If The Last Jedi was a good movie... And people came out of that movie enthusiastic and satisfied. Maybe Solo would do well. But I just think people are still very sour. Still very sour about The Last Jedi. I mean, Mark Hamill, <laughs> you follow him on Twitter. I mean, he's, he's always constantly defending that movie or defending, well, to be fair, defending the rights of fanboys to have issue with that movie. And it, 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 it didn't do well. But um, we've spoken yeah. about that before. <laughs> I yeah, I'll try not to go into it. it. It almost looked like he'd been forced to apologize at one point by Disney. Yep. Uh, he, he said something about, I was being precious about the character, but why should I be? It's owned by the fans and by the new creative people. I'm just a vessel through which the characters communicated. He, he, came, he, he ate some real humble pie and he was really dignified. Um, but I'm sure he's biting his tongue when he's saying a lot of that stuff. I'll be fascinated to see how, how Solo performs. Um, yeah, me and you have already said our piece about the last Jedi. Um, you know, it's 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 steaming pile of species, uh, no doubt about it. Have they discontinued the idea of Ryan Johnson making his own trilogy, or is that still on the cards? No, no it's still on the cards. He's been tweeting about it. He's 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 really looking forward to it, and he's he's enthusiastic, and he says it's exciting because he doesn't have to. He's not sort of tied down by the Sky Skywalker saga. Um, well, Skywalker legacy. So yeah, he's still doing it. Obviously, that was obviously a term of of, of, of the agreement he made with Disney to uh, direct the last year. Well, I think I, we've got zero faith in him. I mean, I understand one of the deleted scenes from the Last Jedi, which popped up on the Blu-ray, was a scene where Luke and Leia communicate across space via the Force. Yep, they sort of share, they share a moment in their grief the death of Han Solo and for some reason the moron that is Ryan Johnson decided that no the fans wouldn't want to see that and he left that scene on the cutting room floor what the hell was he thinking I think that crystallizes how clueless that Ryan Johnson is yeah yeah some of the deleted scenes you you do wonder what the hell Um, and some and like that one you wonder why was that cut out but there you go um Let's move on to what we're supposed to talk about, the main thing, and that's Ready Player One. It would be remiss of us not to discuss, uh, well, on a pod, or not on a podcast that uh, 
is about pop culture most of the time to not to discuss uh, a movie that celebrates it or celebrates 80s pop culture mainly um and so this one uh, was directed by the master that steven spielberg but based on the book by ernest klein which i've never read and i've been told i should read it because i've told i've been told it's very different to the movie um I won't go into the plot too much. It's essentially um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the VR world, I think. Um, you've got this kind of um, Steve Jobs-esque character who created this virtual reality world social space. Um, guy called Halliday, I think. Um, and he dies and he has left some Easter eggs, I think three Easter eggs, um, hidden within this virtual world that have to be unlocked by following a series of clues. Um, and the winner who unravels all three of the eggs and finds the final clue wins the keys to the kingdom. No, wins the actual kingdom, much like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. So that's my, right. that's my brief summary of, of the plot. Did I miss anything? Oh, probably the main characters. No, there I, you think, go. <laughs> no I, think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. It, it, it's, um, if you had to put it into one sentence, you could say that. Yeah, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for millennials set in the virtual world on a distributed environment and the internet. Um, well, do you know what? Um, I When I first knew that this movie was being made off of a book that I had not read, I kind of went, oh, okay, that could be interesting. And then when I saw the trailer and the DeLorean was in it, I thought, you know what? If there's going to be a bit of fanboy service in this, like the DeLorean, you know, it got me excited just from the trailer. I thought it was maybe worth watching. Then a couple of the reviews came through and they were saying it's a good film. And then I thought, well, do you know what? This is Spielberg. And he doesn't often let us down. And he's made a lot of films in the last 10, 15 years, which um, haven't been great, but they haven't been bad. But this is an adventure film. It's sort of classic Spielberg, if you like. I'll, I'll, I'll go and check it out. And... I was just sitting there with a big daffy smile on my face for two hours. I loved it. I loved it too. And I didn't expect. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. And um, the the funny thing is, he I can completely understand why when he read the book, why he thought I've got to get the rights to this and make this because when you get a movie or a TV show where they 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 can get a reaction from their audience through nostalgia. Yep. So for example, look at The Force Awakens. Yeah? It's nostalgia all the way. And some people love that. And I was enjoying it while I was watching it, but afterwards I knew how corrupt it was morally, that really there wasn't a film there. It was a forgery of what Star Wars is supposed to be. So usually when, when you get something really self-referential or referential to, the, to other movies or other pop culture, it comes across as a bit of a cheat. Like the director, the writers, they, they didn't know what else to do, so they just threw a reference in there. Mm. But this film, because of the way the story is constructed and what it is, and it's it's all about what pop culture means to the characters within this film, Spielberg obviously read the book and thought, I can make an adventure film where every five seconds I can press the and it won't come across as morally, ethically corrupt because it's the subject matter of the actual movie. Yeah. So I can see why he jumped on it and it works that way, doesn't it? it you do not think, oh, here's another reference. Uh, uh, another film which did this quite cleverly recently was Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah? Yeah. Um, There's a sequel, I think. In the, 
it, it, there is a sequel coming and, and, and guess what I'm, I'm probably going to watch it <laughs> yeah me too um, <laughs> the, trailer, the, the trailer looks funny um, so it, it, and, it, and it works and um, me and you we love the 80s and that's obviously the main decade that's being uh, referenced um, throughout this film it's almost like Spielberg saying these were great and everything that's come off is terrible <laughs> So I'm just going to keep riffing on 80s it, music, movies and TV shows and games. It is and isn't. I mean, it, it's, you're, you're right. Okay, it, 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 it's good to, first of all, it's easy to be blinded by nostalgia. And you, and you very correctly gave the example of, of, of the, the Star Wars movies, the new Star Wars movies, like The Force Awakens, etc. So I, I really enjoyed Ready Player One. I thought it was great. I'm wondering, though, I've only seen it once whether I am being blinded by nostalgia, but I don't know. But you're right. It, it's Spielberg had a blast throwing in all the references. You say that, but from what I hear, he actually didn't. He found, well, he did and he didn't. He found it very challenging, right? Because the book apparently, and I've not read the book, the main difference with the book is that the, the references are literally described to you. They're, they're spelt out there. This is the blah, blah, blah from you know what, where the way Spielberg did it was he threw it in there. If you blink, you miss it. Yeah. So that's the first difference. The second one is that obviously because it, it celebrates 80s pop culture, the book has lots of references to um, um, properties, material that Steven Spielberg himself was involved with. And Spielberg went out of his way to remove that when he was doing the movie. Uh, with oh, also, I didn't, yeah, I with, didn't the, with the exception, obviously, there's a, um, uh, the, 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 I think there's a Gremlin, I saw a Gremlin, he, he produced that, and he, there's the DeLorean, the executive produced Back to the Future, and there's a T-Rex, that's obviously Jurassic Park. But there's a lot more stuff in, in the book that references Spielberg's work. And, he, I, and I've always wondered why, why, he could have literally thrown all sorts in there, right? He could have thrown all sorts in there. Why not? You, 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 you were big part of, of of the 80s 80s pop culture i didn't see any et i didn't see anything like that but he apparently said he deliberately did not want to turn the film into a vanity mirror so he resisted and he had to actually remove things that were actually in and referenced in 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 the book that refer to his work i think he's made a mistake there then because being when you look at a clockwork orange yeah, and alex the droog is walking through the shopping mall and you see in the record shop, you see an LP of 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yep. Okay. You don't look at that and think, oh, you know, Kubrick, what a wanker. Pardon my language. You, you don't think that. You think Kubrick is having a laugh. And he guys a genius. Yeah. yeah. I think with Spielberg as well, people would have forgiven him. They would have been like, well, that, that's fine for him to do that because Raiders of the Lost Ark, Close Encounters, Jaws, E.T., they were that good that you are completely entitled to um, to reference them. So I'm surprised by that. Yeah, and it, and it was so bad that um, the, the the guys and girls who were working on the, on the CG would throw in their own Easter eggs. Like I think I think um, I heard the story about Spielberg saying that he didn't notice the gremlin first of all, but then he was he was he was sort of watching footage and. He noticed it, and by that point, it was too late. And they've thrown in these little reference behind his, his back because they probably feel the same as you. Why not celebrate? But he, he seemed to be very self conscious about that. 
Um, and, and you can tell, I mean, like we, this, this whole thing when they're, they're referencing these kids from the future, referencing John Hughes movies, like, okay, cool, fine. I love John Hughes movies. I love the ones that were referenced. I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off, etc. But you can tell that Spielberg threw that in there because he was feeling a little bit awkward about talking about his own stuff. You can just tell. Um, but you know what? That's cool. Um, it was a joy to watch. I loved it. I had a big smile on my face all the way through. I took my, well, the youngest of my boys and he loved it too. Um, and he kind of like, he's, he's into, well, by, not by choice, a lot of 80s pop culture because I, I make him sit down at home and watch a lot of things that I enjoyed when I was younger. Um, the biggest thing, so there's loads of references in here, but the biggest thing obviously I was missing, I think, from point of view of referencing things from the 80s, late 70s 80s is obviously the Star Wars there was no reference to Star Wars and in the um, book uh, there are loads of references to Star Wars are there there are loads of references to Star Wars I think um one of the characters actually flies an x-wing um there's loads of references to Star Wars and Spielberg wanted and I heard a story that he wanted specifically to have like a, a, a Darth Vader or a Yoda in there or something and um Apparently Disney uh, were playing hardball. They were just saying, no, no, you're not going to use Star Wars. No. And obviously if, if, if Star Wars is still in the control of its creator, George Lucas, it wouldn't have been a problem. But um, Disney was saying no. Spielberg then tried to negotiate further by, by saying, um, okay, look, I'm not interested in the, um, the newer characters, just, you know, the older ones. And they're still saying no. Um, so that's sad. I mean, that was, I mean, some, that was, it was obviously like, where's Star Wars? You know, that, 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 that was, that, that was pretty sad that that wasn't there. Um, that's horrible. That's horrible. When, when we watched E.T. back in the day and you see Yoda and the toys in E.T. and you even hear Yoda's theme, don't you? When Yoda's walking past, yeah. uh, or, or I should say the kid dressed up as Yoda, of course. Um, it's, it was so wonderful to see that. And then when we saw the, the, um, the Star Wars, toys popping up in spider-man homecoming that that was cool as well but it was surprising i was like oh okay but then obviously you think about it for a second and you're like of course obviously disney yeah, disney and marvel boxes. yeah <laughs> um, or, or disney marvel and sony i'm gonna be technical about it but yeah and then and we've all always associated spielberg and lucas together quite rightly haven't we yeah um you know the collaborators and the close friends so for disney to deny not just deny spielberg but to deny the audience um star wars references um it just reeks of you know the bottom looking at the bottom line and 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 the, the corporate kind of competition and hostility that exists in a capitalist sort of um paradise like uh, north america it, it just reeks of it doesn't it it's so disappointing yeah it does um, i mean and that's the story behind the making of of, of this movie actually is is, is almost as entertaining as the movie so spielberg didn't have any problems with um securing the rights to use the um the ips of of, of all the of all the other studios basically um and it was him obviously his name his pull that that made it happen i think they had a problem with you know at the end they have the iron giant in the movie in the book it's supposed to be ultraman and there's some massive rights issue with right. Ultraman at the moment. So they couldn't use Ultraman. So they used the Warner Brothers property because Warner Brothers did this movie. Um, but other than that, Spielberg was able to get whatever he wants because that's the level of pull he had. And that's the level of respect that he has. 
he commands and, and you know what why not it's, it's also obviously going to be very career limiting for anyone in hollywood to you know piss spielberg off so i'd suggest there was some strategic sort of um decision making there by people saying yeah of course we'll let spielberg do what he wants because he's spielberg he's the godfather i guess it's only disney that are big enough to say do you know what we can even stick two fingers up at spielberg because we're disney and we own everything um soon to own fox news or, or sky news sorry um but the thing that actually disappointed me there was a couple of things at the end and disappointed me in a kind of fun way not in a not being um well, not seriously criticizing the film but when mecca godzilla appears just for a moment I thought it was either going to be Grimlock, the Dinobot, out of Transforming. And then I thought, well, maybe it's going to be like the T-Rex out of Zoids, which is also another staple of the 80s. And then it turned into Mechagodzilla instead. So I was a little bit disappointed by that. And we didn't have any Transformers in there. Yeah, no was, Transformers. I, I wonder why. Well, he was one of the producers on Transformers, wasn't he? With, of with course, Paramount. of course. There you go. Of course, yeah. So it's not like he I mean, couldn't do it. It, it, it. Again, he's probably being a bit self-conscious because he's attached to it. In, but it wasn't attached to Transformers in terms of the toys in the 80s or maybe the animated series or anything like that. We're talking about the no. Michael Bay movies. Yes, exactly. But, but the public, they associate Transformers with Michael Bay. They don't associate it with Spielberg. So I think that was um, a misstep uh, for him not to have uh, the Transformers in there. I mean, surely in that, in that race that we see at the, at the beginning, he could, he could have had quite easily a few of the Autobot Transformer vehicles in there. I'll tell you something else, though. The one thing he really, really screwed up with, yeah, and, and, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, when the climax was coming up and the, um, they've got the, um, the cynical guy, uh, who's that Australian actor um, who plays the bad guy? He's a little bit typecast, wasn't he, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so when he's got his troops... Uh, not employees, but troops, it, it seems. Corporations in the future have armies, it would seem, that can terrorize people. Um, when he's got them playing the Atari 2600 console and um, it's got something to do with one of the games and, and that, do you know what I thought they, they were going to do? The final seriously, chance. I, the final Easter egg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I thought? I seriously was sitting there thinking that they were going to do E.T. this. And I, and I thought this is going to be ingenious. He's going to pop the E.T. card. That's what I there. thought. Yeah, I thought it was going to be E.T. That's exactly what and, I thought. Yeah. And I thought they were going to reveal this wasn't a rubbish game back in the day. You just didn't know how to play it. This is <laughs> how you win, how you complete E.T. And, and there's your Easter egg, yeah. And here's your, your Oasis. This is how you can win, your, uh, win the whole challenge. And I thought that is the smartest thing ever because that's Spielberg and the Atari and video games. All in one. And... <laughs> an, urban, an urban myth about those cartridges being buried in the desert Landfill, all yeah. coming together in a blockbuster and they didn't do it now mental now i i, I thought that was going to happen i kept on saying to to, to my son i bet you see et i bet you it's et but no it wasn't et and um okay fine but i've since discovered that the the um the game that they had to play i think adventurer um because it's one of the first video games that has an easter egg in it um, and that's the way the book goes. So that's fair enough. You, you, you stick into the book. Um, but E.T. would have been a brilliant right. reference. But even they could have done it even as a joke, even a, as a passing joke. You know, they had the list, the list of list of games that they were trying on the whiteboard. They could have had that there and made some sort of joke or shown someone playing the game or something. But I think it would have shown the ability of Hollywood or Spielberg and, and his writers 
to go above and beyond. If they had had E.T. as the final challenge instead of, uh, did you say it's called Aven- Adventurer? Adventurer, yeah. Okay. If they'd done, if they had had him playing Adventurer and then even that doesn't turn out to be the challenge and then they did E.T. after that, that would have gazumped the um, the people who love the book even. You know, it would have it would have surprised them. So I know you probably get a lot of people who like the book who would have been precious because, oh, why have you changed it so much? But sometimes you've got to take a leap and go with it. And I'll tell you what, it would have taken the film to another level for geeks like me and you. We would have just, you know. Now, for those who don't know, mistaken. maybe she gives some context. E.T. The E.T. game was released in the early 80s on the on the, on the Atari uh, games console. It was it's considered as one of the most unplayable games of all time. Um, it's really bad, apparently. I've not played it myself. And uh, because it was E.T. and E.T. was a hit movie, uh, um, they produced they produced way too many copies, basically. And the game was a disaster. So they had to basically yeah. bury all these bury all these um, copies at landfill. That was the urban. That was the urban myth. OK, but that's that actually was proven true. Christmas. That that was proven true um, just a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Someone actually found them. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Just to just to add to what you said there, I think they they the, the design and the programming of the of the game was rushed because they wanted to get it into the stores in time for Christmas. Right. Okay. Uh, and and yeah, it, obviously it was a dog, and and yeah, they did find a bunch of these cartridges when they did the the dig in the desert, wherever that was, and then I think after that dig, um, loads of these ET cartridges. The ones that were in better condition, obviously, with, with some of the paperwork, which is still just about survived corruption, and that uh, they popped up on eBay for about three hundred dollars each. Um, <laughs> the irony. So, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, a real, real missed opportunity. But hey, that's just us nitpicking. Um, it's actually, do you know what, listeners? I promise, me and Jonathan did not discuss this before the podcast. We, we literally, though, it sounds like we were thinking the same thing watching that film about et so that's that's quite a funny coincidence it shows that we were both hardcore geeks um <laughs> but yeah the film overall yeah the the film overall um it was a delight and i don't think you were being blinded by the nostalgia i think if you watch that film again you'll um you'll enjoy it just as much and, and yeah it gets syrupy and um sort of uh saccharine sweet at the end with the way the kids save the day it, it's almost like a movie from the 80s the way that, that, that that's what i appreciate about about the ending yeah it was a little bit saccharine but you know what that's your typical 80s movie ending isn't it especially we've got kids involved that, teenagers involved it, it yeah I, I think it was perfect in that respect yeah absolutely every tv show that had kids in it as the protagonists they used to end up with them catching the criminals in a really improbable way um and, and so yeah it had to end that way because that's almost the archetypal spielberg film and I don't know if you agree with me, but I thought a lot of the things that were explored in Minority Report and AI popped up in this film. And, and it almost felt like those two movies, particularly AI, were almost dry runs in a certain way mm. for this one. And I think both of those movies are decent films. I think it was a good thriller. But I, I don't think they quite hit the target. They didn't hit the bullseye, either of those films. This one did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but the way the way me and you hold Raiders of the Lost Ark or Close Encounters or Doors in reverence to find our childhoods, who knows? Maybe millennials watching 
Ready Player One might have this film as something that finds their childhoods. That that was a nice thought that I had. I, I hope it has an impact like that. I was just looking at the book, funny uh, enough. Um, you see, it's and, making it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, as you were saying that, um, I was just looking at when 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 the book was released. Actually, it was, it, it was 2011. So it's not that old at all. Um, that's fairly recent, actually. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I loved it. I, I loved all the, um, not just the movie references and stuff, but the, um, the, um, the video game references and things in there that they were cool. Um, no Nintendo again, due to them being funny about rights. Um, there is a lot of Nintendo apparently in the book, just none in this movie. Um, and it's funny that you get, it, it looks really bad actually. So you got them and you got Disney who have been funny about their, their, their IPs, but to my knowledge, and I've been doing a bit of reading about this, no one asked for any, any, any fee or any, uh, at all. Every, 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 every IP that you see in that movie was, was donated, licensed free for free. So wow. that says a lot, doesn't it? Also Spielberg says, I mean, I don't know if he's lying or not, but you know. That's quite something. I mean. It makes you think that Disney, if Disney had just turned around and said, look, if you just give us this, you know, royalty, 0.01% of whatever the gross is of this film, then you can have Star Wars. Spielberg probably would have said, yeah, go on then. Yeah. So, and, and you telling me that the other IPs were, were donated. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it makes them look like the, uh, you know, like they're sitting in, the, in their castle or the top a mountain somewhere, mountain doom, unwilling to come out and play ball and and get with the get with the program. Don't get me wrong, I'm not stupid. Wherever wherever there's commerce involved, there should be some kind of compensation or royalty. But the fact that they didn't want to get to the negotiation table to make that happen makes them look bad. Yeah, it it does. It does. And it's a shame, really, because it, the film's just one big celebration. And those franchises like Star Wars franchise you know, it's incredibly important. They should have realized the acknowledged the importance and just, 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 just let Spielberg use what he needed to use. I don't know. Um, yeah. So no, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved all the references. I loved that bit when they recreate the shining. That, that was, that was awesome. Um, I love seeing the DeLorean. That was badass. It's funny because, um, my, um, so I, I, t- I took my, um, my youngest of my boys, Obviously, my youngest kid is my little girl. And she's what? She's six years old. And I said, we're going to see this movie. Do you want to come to the cinema with us and watch it? No, I don't want to watch it. Why not? It looks boring. It looks like it's for boys. Come and watch it. No, I don't want to watch it. She's very stroppy. Okay. All right, fine. I'll take, um, I'll take my son and we'll, we'll watch it. And she loves Hello Kitty. She loves, she's a girly girl. She loves Hello Kitty. And I just laughed. Right. I laughed when I saw Hello Kitty in that movie like twice. <laughs> right. Did you, did you tell her? I did. I, I did tell her. Yes. She didn't believe me. Though. Wow. Well, it's, it's better than her crying. If she turned around and started crying, you, uh, you wouldn't have been able to stop her. But uh, that's serious. Um, yeah, but my, my nephew and niece loved it. And well, I played that game when I got home. Me and my niece sat down and said, right, between us, how many references can we remember from the film? We got up to about 43 and then we stopped. And I'm sure that's only the tip of the iceberg. There's so many in there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's probably probably his best 
kind of thriller adventure film since Minority Report, and uh, it's a bit of a renaissance. It got me thinking, actually. You're talking about nostalgia, and obviously the film encapsulates the 80s. I mean, uh, call me a curmudgeon or call me out of time, if you will, but I, I think movies have been steadily getting... Uh, um, mainstream cinema, that is, has been getting worse over the last 20 years. And it, to the point now where it mostly seems to be vacuous stuff or remakes or sequels or spin-offs mm. um, to the point, to the point where you get stuff like the emoji movie. And I have often thought to myself, I mean, we all know that during the golden period of Hollywood, they, um, they used to churn films out on such a regular basis. I'm sure there was a lot of cross produced, but the good movies were very good, you know, Casablanca or whatever. Yeah. And you get to the 70s, I think it's widely acknowledged by everyone, isn't it? The 70s, the Easy Riders and Raging Bulls, you know, uh, all those great directors, Bogdanovich, Scorsese, Lucas, Spielberg, De Palma, Coppola, all those, all those directors. That was the golden period, the 70s. And once you got to the 80s, uh, the corporations started pushing the art out, didn't they? But you still had some really good original movies being made. And I think it was when you got to the 90s that you really started to get a drain and I think by, your time, by the time you get to the noughties, I think cinema was, was it's kind of become trash, you know, to the point where Fast and the Furious gets like seven sequels. Yeah? Um, and I was thinking about that and I thought, Do you know what, that correlation, that drop in quality, it almost perfectly correlates with the drop in output from those great directors who first hit the scene in the 70s. So if you just think about it for a moment, mm. Spielberg, Spielberg, Scorsese, De Palma, you know, Coppola to a lesser extent, Lucas. Uh, you could even throw Michael Mann in there because he, he made his first feature film in the late 70s. Okay. Their output has got steadily less, and, oh, uh, and Ridley Scott as well. Their, their output has got steadily less prolific over the decades, naturally because they're getting older. Yep. And um, it's just the dying embers now um of their genius where occasionally you get a great film like the wolf of wall street or ready player one um of course with someone like de palma i can't remember the last time he made a film i, I would consider a classic maybe snake eyes which is about 18 years old now yeah, that's going back a bit <laughs> yeah he, he obviously um he, he lost it a while ago and and um, even like probably my fav- favorite director out of all of them, along with Scorsese, Michael, Michael Mann. And I, I just wonder if that correlation is that positive correlation between those two trends there that, that tells a story in itself that those guys from the seventies who knew how to make movies they're you know, they're, they're coming to the end of their careers. And, um, and that has coincided with the sort of upward trend in, well, crap. Maybe, maybe you're onto something there, actually. Thinking about it, it makes perfect sense. Because there's just so little risk-taking in Hollywood, isn't there? I mean, a movie like Ready Player One, if it had been made by a lesser director, an up-and-coming director, would he have had a $175 million budget signed off to make that film? Or would they have forced that director to make a smaller film out of it? And maybe only with a dozen IPs in there rather than, you know, five dozen. Well, that's the thing. The film would be even more expensive because, he, you know, he, he would struggle to, uh, to get licensing for all those IPs. So this guy, Spielberg, he's probably the only one who could have made that film yeah. for a number of reasons. Yeah, most likely, yeah. So 
we should thank our lucky stars. You know, listen, I thought Munich was boring. Um, I think one or two other films he's made recently that they're not, they're not movies I'm interested in. Um, but he still has this in him, and you know, he's still able to make his mainstream adventure films, which are brilliant. And, and um, the natural successors to those great directors from the 70s, where are they, you know? I mean, you kind of had David Fincher in the 90s. When he made Fight Club in 7, I thought, this guy's going to be the guy. He's he's not the guy. Um, and there aren't many about, are they? Lucas has gone into retirement now, you know? Yeah. Uh, how much longer can, can Scorsese keep going? It's a sobering thought. Scorsese has one last movie in him. Or so he says. He keeps on saying that, though. Um, the one, um, the Irishman. That is the last one, is it not? Did he say that to his last film? So that's that's, that's the what Netflix he said. Yeah. De Niro, you know. Yeah. But then he's been well, saying that he's been saying that for a while. So, you know. if that is if that is his last movie, it's it's appropriate, isn't it? Because the gangster flick and it's got De Niro in it. Yeah. And I think it's the biggest budget Netflix film ever. Is it? It's like got a huge budget that one, I believe. It's a period film. If it is his last one, it's sad. Um, I, I kind of, part of me just hopes he'll keep going. And a part of me is really happy that Ridley Scott's still going. He, he's actually, relatively speaking, he's quite prolific, actually. Uh, I said the movies are tailing off. He, he's still going, isn't he? And uh, yeah. there aren't any successes, are there? I mean, God, you know. Not, they, these directors don't even have protégés that they can put forward. I, I know that, that there's a guy, there's an actor who wanted to direct a guy called Peter Berg. Michael Mann had taken under wing as a protege, and he's nowhere. He's not going to be a, a quality director. Um, there you go. You've got J.J. Yeah. Abrams, isn't he? Uh, isn't he uh, a kind of a protege of Spielberg? Also, I hear. Oh dear. Kind well, of. there you go. That just sums up. If he <laughs> is, uh, if he is the natural successor, then uh, yeah, that that says everything, doesn't it? It's. Um, well, I think I'm, I'm. I'm sitting here as a film fan, waiting for the next burst of creative geniuses to appear to make movies that redefine you know mainstream cinema um and i, I don't think it's going to happen i think the medium's been stretched as far as it can go the stories have been told uh we have uh, avatar two three four to look forward to from next year is it next year no it's not uh, the year after isn't it 2020 really? i think i think really? so wow well at least um as 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 Needless as that sounds, all those Avatar movies, at least James Cameron's the real deal. I'm just going to check that, actually. Yes, Avatar 2. Remember, he's, shoot, he's shooting three sequels back-to-back. Avatar 2 is, at, at this point in time, scheduled to be released on December the 18th, 2020. Well, let me say this about Avatar 2. The fact that it's taken him this long to make it means that he's probably doing something technologically, which is which has not been done before. So it was the same case with Terminator 2, with Titanic, with the first Avatar, and he's allowed to have a long pre-production and principal photography, and no doubt with a film like this with so many effects, it's a huge post-productions. I'm looking forward to Avatar 2 now, uh, but uh, it's still a part of me that thinks it's, uh, it's probably a little bit unnecessary, but we'll see. He's surprised us so many times. He might again. Well, he's got something because he's he's managed to uh, to, to to write and 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 uh, to begin production of three sequels. So there's clearly more to it. 
But no, one of them's a prequel, though, right? Oh, sorry, here. I don't know. I, d- I didn't hear that. I didn't know that. That's yeah, news to me. yeah, one of them is a prequel. I don't know. But um, yeah, we will we'll, 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 we'll get together in 2020, at the end of 2020, December. So it'll be like 2021, maybe. Um, by the time we've seen it and been able to <laughs> digest it. Well, we'll, we'll, go we'll talk about it then. Yeah, we'll, we'll go watch that. that. We'll, we'll watch it in 3D and everything or whatever new technology I need at that time. Uh, well, that one we can go all out. It tells me the... The subsequent Avatar movies probably might not go all out on all of them, um, and, and I've already said they're probably. I, I don't know how necessary all these Avatar movies are, but it's. I'd rather have an Avatar franchise than you know, eight or nine Fast and Furious films. I keep mentioning that that franchise because I, I it just represents for me the dumbing down of uh, cinema. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, what else did they look forward to? Oh yeah, so, so speaking of Spielberg. His next movie is most likely Indy 5. I don't know what to expect about that. What do we know about that, anyway? Harrison Ford's in it? Or well, are they rebooting yeah, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, Harrison Ford's in it. There's no, obviously, Lucas involvement for the first time ever, so it'll be interesting to see the direction they take. And he's confirmed that it's going to be set in the 60s. So um, it's going to be shot in the UK, uh, I believe. And, um, uh, yeah, that that will be... It's going to be different from all the other Indiana Jones movies, but I'm fascinated to see what they're going to do because obviously, with with Harrison Ford's age and the fact that Shia LaBeouf ain't going to be in it, is he not, he's and, not he's not uh, he's not in it. Then. Is he still? Um, is it has Hollywood not forgiven him? Well, why would they? The guy is um, the guy went mental, didn't he? Um, yeah, it's not nice to to use that word. I mean, uh, I hope he isn't suffering from any kind of mental kind of malady seriously but um he, he basically has gone completely in another direction so i don't think he's going to be in it and obviously john hurt passed away didn't he he was in the previous one yep um is, is karen Allen going to be in it i mean she has to right I mean, she was really rusty in the crystal skull so i'm not sure whether they should give her a, a huge part in the film. She, well, she has to be in she it yeah. the old... they, they married at the end she yeah she has to yeah and she, so it's old man Harrison Ford in, in 60s America. Uh, what's going to be the backdrop? I don't know, the Kennedy assassination, you know, civil rights movement. I don't know. You tell me. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, though. It's a shame Lucas isn't on board. Even as, a, you know, a consultant or, you know, just to write the treatment or, I don't know. But he's well and truly well, retired, he says. So. Creative people, they never lose those juices that flow through them he, he must still have ideas left right center every day it's just a shame he's he's decided to go into retirement and maybe he took really personally all of the all of the abuse he was taking off off the back of the sequel the the prequel sorry uh, maybe, maybe he's just had enough and he's thinking why should i well he said that hasn't uh, he? he said that several times he said you know what if people just to say mean things about you i mean i'm paraphrasing there, what he said all the time why bother that that's kind of what he said so, yeah, he said it's not fun anymore, and um, that's a real tragedy because we're being um, denied a, a genius, aren't we? I mean, he's got other projects as well, of course, like the the Museum of Narrative Art. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that I think that's being built in Chicago, or is it or San Francisco? I can't remember where, wherever it's being built. But uh, has there been any other geeky stuff uh, before we sign off? Um, there's one actually. 
funny geeky thing which I'll just mention actually for a laugh. Okay. Uh, we, we talked about computer games earlier with Ready Player One. Um, I don't know if you remember in Predator Two. There's a journalist, and he's a he's like a big mouth, loud mouth, former American shock jock type uh, talk show host from American TV. His name was Morton Downey Jr. Yes. I don't know if you know this character. Uh, yeah. Excellent, right. So he's he's in Predator 2 as a reporter. I think he gets killed. He was also, um, yeah, like I said, he, he became famous in the 80s for his um, aggressive uh, manner on, on his talk show, which led to stuff like Jerry Springer and everything that came after it, Maori and all that stuff. So he was a pioneer. And he used to basically... Um, when he was being aggressive and talking on his talk show, he'd be chain smoking. Yeah, so, so he was famous for that as well. And um, he was also in an episode of uh, Tales from the Crypt back in the in the early nineties. He became a bit of a bit of a star for a while. Uh, he, he's passed away now, I believe. Anyway, I just found out the other day that the um, you know in uh, Super Mario Brothers, you got Bowser's Koopings, the little um, the the young uh, the young Koop. Coopers or whatever you want to call them, and uh, one of them, the, the gobby one, who always makes lots of noise, is Morton uh, Cooper Junior. Yeah, yeah, Morton, Morton, Morton yeah, yeah. Junior. He was he was named after Morton Downey Junior. I read that the other day, and um, to put it quite simply, in two words, mind blown. <laughs> I I mean I knew I I know the names of the the Cooplins, but I'd never made that connection. Wow. Okay. Geeky stuff you, you read about from time to time and it just blows your mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. All our listeners, if you want to blow someone away with some uh, useless trivia at a party, there's that one there. But, um, okay, that's really cool. I think that's about it now. I think, I think we've, 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 uh, we've, we've spoken for a while. We could go on and on about Ready Player One, but um, probably best not to. I think I'll try and sneak in another screen in at some point. Because I feel like it's a lot of fun. I think, yeah, okay. I've I've seen the movie now. I know I know how it, you know, what the plot's what the plot is and how it ends. And now I think I'll just watch it for fun, just to try and spot all the little references. So uh, I think I'll give it another. Well, screen. yeah, I almost feel a bit dirty when I'm promoting Hollywood products on our podcast or whatever. But I really don't mind saying it. Um, these days, we all know you can watch movies on cable, satellite, you can borrow a Blu-ray from a friend, or some people even download movies now, believe it or not. So you can watch high-quality movies for free. Mm. Obviously, take a big bunk out of Hollywood's revenues. Um, but sometimes movies come along which you just have to see at the cinema. You know, like a film like Gravity, for example. Um, and, and certainly, I would say Ready Player One, which... By the way, I watched in 2D, but I'm sure it would bounce off the screen in 3D as well. It is a film worth watching at the cinema. Thinking, uh, um, I'll just I get a copy of it on, or, or Blu-ray or, or or cable or satellite. Um, no, it's it's worth making the trip to, to see it at, at the theatre. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw it in 2D as well, and um, it seems like it would be a good sort of movie to watch in 3D. But I've got a rule now when it comes to 3D movies, unless the filmmaker has explicitly said that, you know what, you need to watch this in 3D. It's the best presentation. It's what I had in mind when I made the movie. Then there's no need to watch it in 3D. And Steven Spielberg didn't give any mention at all to the 3D presentation of Ready Player One. In all the interviews, all the press junkets, not one mention of 3D. So there you go. Well, 
Really surprised. Oh, and also worth mentioning, uh, listeners, that the special effects for that film were done by ILM. Yep. And uh, um, it had that distinctive mark of quality. Like, you could tell Spielberg had got the best special effects supervisors for this film, and he'd said to them, we're going to, you know, blow our audience away, and, and they do, the effects are excellent. Uh, listen, I know there's a bit more latitude in terms of the CGI in this film, because when you're in the Oasis, everything kind of looks like a computer sprite anyway, so you can get away with a lot, but the effects are brilliant. Um, yeah, go see it. Okay, well, I think that's about all the time we have for this edition, Bronson. Thank you so much for joining us again. It's been good. It's been good fun. Yep, absolutely. Great fun. Pleasure to be back. Awesome, awesome. And, um, yep, hopefully we can, we'll, we'll speak again soon, probably talk about... The Avengers movie, if you catch that at the cinema, and hopefully you would have seen Black Panther by then. But um, yeah, that'll probably be the next couple of weeks or so. So um, thanks everyone for listening to this edition. Um, just a reminder that um, if you've yet to subscribe to the podcast, why haven't you? But you can find us listed in all major podcast directories, including TuneIn Radio and iTunes. If you want instructions on how to subscribe, go to our website, which is intersectioncast.com. If you want to be notified about new episodes through social media, you can do so via Facebook. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash intersectioncast. And our Twitter account is at Let's Intersect. If you have any feedback or anything, drop us an email at our email address, which is feedback at intersectioncast.com. Can I just say for any of our listeners who are going to join or like our Facebook page, we won't disseminate your personal details to Mark Zuckerberg and the unscrupulous corporations which um, pay him to put their adverts on that platform. Uh, we promise we won't do that. <laughs> That's exactly what happened, actually. The last last episode I was talking about, um, was it the one before that? I was talking about the whole scandal and about Cambridge Analytica and all that stuff and what they're doing with our data. And uh, I think I finished the podcast off by saying, oh, on that note, follow us on Facebook. But uh, yeah, we won't sell out your data. We, 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 we won't sell out your data at all. So I'm Jonathan and we're signing off another edition of The Intersection. And until the next time, that's a wrap. The Intersection.